The following sermon is a ministry of Hilton Head Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at hiltonheadpca.com. This is the word of the Lord. For the promise to Abraham and to his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For it is the inherents of the law who are to be the heirs, then faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was almost a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. Fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but also for ours. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. The other day, I was out and about, and I I heard somebody uh, say something to this effect. I don't have to justify myself to you, or to anybody else. I don't have to justify myself to you or to anybody else. Maybe you've heard somebody say that. Maybe you yourself have been the one saying that or the recipient of that statement towards you. I find it interesting that the statement that they made, I don't have to justify myself to you, was a justification. 
The irony is they were justifying themselves by saying, I don't have to justify myself to you. I, I am my own standard. I have my standard. You are not my standard. I'm just. And you don't get to tell me that I'm not just. The greater irony is that every single human being, every woman or man, child, whatever, every one of us is trying to justify ourselves. It's a human problem. It's a problem that began all the way back in the beginning of the Bible in Genesis. After God created the world, we see these events take place. And in the passage that we're reading and looking at briefly today, that passage uses the word justify or a derivation of it three times. Because what Paul is saying and what God is saying to us is that, friends, every single one of you is seeking to justify yourself, but the only place that you can find justification is in the gospel of Jesus Christ. You will search, and you will search in vain, and you will be exhausted. And at the end of the day, you will find that there still is no justification unless you transfer your hope and belief into one who said, I came and lived and died and was raised from the dead for your justification, not his. Christ didn't have to justify his life. He was the true justified one. He came to offer to us a justification that can't be found anywhere else. You see, Christianity teaches that in the beginning, God created all things and he created all things perfect. He created all things fully integrated, and at the pinnacle of creation, he created a man and woman in his image, the Imago Dei, that it gives dignity to every single person in all the world because we are created in his image. And there was a perfect integration between humanity and the self, that we were perfectly integrated with self. There was no internal conflict or turmoil. Adam and Eve were perfectly integrated uh, with each other. Uh, there were no spousal communication breakdowns. Uh, there wasn't anything going on there. It, it was a perfect integration. They were integrated perfectly within the culture and within all of the created order. And ultimately, it says they were perfectly integrated with God. It says that they walked in the cool of the evening with the Lord. There was a vertical integration as well. So self, others, and God. But then the biblical record speaks, and it talks in Genesis 3 that a temptation entered into the world. That Adam and Eve were tempted to distrust God and to believe a lie that said God's holding something back from you. God's keeping something from you. He's a miser. He's not a good God. He can't be trusted. And so Adam and Eve believed the lie of the evil one, and they ate of the fruit, and they determined their own path. Uh, the very first in the idea of self-determination, uh, of, of self-fulfillment, uh, of whatever the language you want to use. And it says, as soon as they ate of the fruit, a new character entered the scene. And that character's name is Shame. So it says that all of a sudden, Adam and Eve, who had been naked uh, in front of one another, no shame, no, no barriers, all of a sudden, it, it speaks, and shame comes in, uh, and it says that the eyes of both were opened, and they knew they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made for themselves loincloths. Shame entered, and Adam and Eve realized that they were broken, that they were flawed 
Shame is a powerful, maybe the most powerful voice outside of the voice of Christ that's in the world today. Because what shame is telling you all the way back from the garden and has to every human being ever since all the way up to today for you sitting in your chair today, it says this to you, you're not enough. It reminds you that you're flawed and imperfect and broken. It screams into our minds and our hearts and emotions that we will never be enough. We don't have what it takes. Uh, It's the soundtrack of our lives and of our experiences. Each moment of our days, shame, uh, as one writer, uh, Kirk Thompson, uh, put it, shame is the constant attendant to our thoughts and emotions. It is always there speaking to us. And what we find is that we try to silence its voice. We can't believe that to be true. I can't possibly not be enough. I can't be exposed. I can't let others see my brokenness. And so we have created a much more complex uh, loincloth manufacturing system. We don't take uh, fig leaves anymore. Maybe you do, but thank you for not coming this morning in them. Uh, But all of you are decked out in fig leaves. You're decked out in your best because it covers you on how you look. Those fig leaves have become more complex. They've taken on our physical bodies of if we have to be in shape, depending upon what shape you're in. For some cultures, round is a shape. For other cultures, chiseled is a shape. I tend to the round shape. I like those cultures better. But it's shape. Maybe it's a diploma. Maybe it's a car, or a spouse, or a child. Maybe it's the career, maybe it's the zip code, maybe it's the neighborhood in which you live. But it's all fig leaves. Because we're trying to cover our nakedness. And we're trying to still and to hush shame's voice, which says if you don't cover up, they'll see you. They'll see you. Parents, why did you get your kids all dressed up today? Why are you telling them to be quiet? Why are you doing it? I'm a parent. Because you don't want anybody to think you're a bad parent. Can't let them think we're a bad parent. We can't let them think we're a bad spouse. We can't let them. We're hiding constantly in the midst of this. And what we find is we can't fix it. Some of you are exhausted from trying to fix it. It reminds me uh, of the great movie back in uh, 1981, Chariots of Fire. Many of you are familiar with it, not at least you uh, know uh, the theme song uh, to it. But within it is a very haunting conversation that's had between Harold Abrams, who is a world-class Olympic sprinter, and he is getting ready to run for uh, Olympic gold. And one of the other uh, runners looks at him and asks him, he basically asks, Harold, why do you train so hard? Why do you beat your body in this way? Why are you so competitive? Why do you have to have this gold? Why is it so important to you? Abrams responds, and now in one hour's time, I'll be out there again. I will raise my eyes and I will look down the corridor four feet wide. 
with ten lonely seconds to justify my existence. But will I? I stare down a corridor four feet wide and I have ten seconds to justify my existence. But the question that was gnawing at him, shame's voice was, will you? If you win, will it be enough? And if you lose, it's obviously not enough. What Abrams was trying to do was quiet shame's voice, quiet every voice of, every, of his parents, of his coaches, of his peers, uh, of whatever it was. He was trying to say, I'm enough. I'm justified by this. I wonder if the gold medal was enough for him. It reminds me of another interview that I saw with Matt Damon after he had won the Academy Award uh, for Goodwill Hunting. He won it as a young man, 25-ish in, in age uh, in that time. And a number of years later, he was getting ready uh, for uh, the movie The Martian, and he was being interviewed, and the interviewer asked him, said, hey, tell me about the night that you won the Academy Award. It had to be a highlight of your life. It had to be a wild night. I bet there was a lot of partying going on uh, after you won that Academy Award. And Matt Damon said, no. I went back to the apartment and I sat by myself in the living room and I took the statue out and I set it down right in front of me. And this is what he says. I remember very clearly looking at that award and thinking very, very clearly. Imagine chasing that and finally getting it in your 80s or 90s with all of life behind you and realizing what an unbelievable waste of your life. It can't fill you. It's that, if, it, if that's a hole, that you have, it will never fill it. What's your fig leaf? What is it that shame is saying to you uh, that says you've got to have this, and if you have that, then it'll be enough? And just like Matt Damon, and just like Abrams, and just like the experience of your own life, if you're honest enough, you'll go, it doesn't fill me. I thought that my wedding day would fill me. I thought that having a child would fill me. I thought that getting the job would fill me. I thought that adding another comma into my net worth uh, would then satisfy and fill me. I thought then it would justify me. It would justify my existence. And that's where we come to this Scripture passage this morning. Because the Scripture says that only Christ can justify you. Only Christ can speak with a voice that's louder than shame's voice. It says that Jesus, our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. So just a couple of thoughts as we talk this morning, and I'll be brief. The first is simply this, and I've said it in a number of different ways, but I want you to hear it clearly. If you're a believer, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you need to hear this. You need to hear it again and again and again. And the reason I know you need to hear it is because you forget it and stop believing it again and again and again. And the reason I know that is because I do. And here's the truth. Justification can only be found in Jesus Christ nowhere else. Justification can only be found in Jesus Christ and nowhere else. Justification is a legal term that declares something to be righteous. 
It is a declaration that God is saying to you. Isn't that amazing? That the Creator who knows you, who knows everything about you, and by the way, have any of you done anything uh, under God's standard or your own standard? Have you broken your own law or God's law? Any of you? Let's raise our hands to make ourselves feel better. See, the room's filled with folks just like you. We're going to break our standard or we're going to break God's standard. And in that, we know that we're not righteous. But justification by Christ looks at us and says, no, I declare you righteous. And we go, but I've messed up. I know my record. I know that it stands against me. It's not perfect. And Christ looks and He said, yes. That is absolutely true. But what we have to do is believe by faith that Christ takes His perfect record. If I asked that question and Jesus was in the room, He wouldn't have raised His hand. Not out of shame. Some of you didn't raise your hands. But it was because of shame. You didn't want the person next to you to know that you'd messed up. By the way, they already know. (laughs) Jesus wouldn't raise His hand. He said, I've done nothing wrong. I've never messed up. Not in an emotion. Not in a thought. Not in an action. I have perfectly obeyed, not human standard, but God's standard. And that perfection, he takes and he says, it's yours now if you believe in me. He gives us the perfection of his righteousness, his record, and he says, this is now yours. Bill, by believing, this is now yours. So that when God the Father, the only one who matters, whose voice is the only one that matters, the ultimate and supreme judge, who every human being will stand before one day, when we stand in front of Him and He says, I need to see your record. I need to see your righteousness record. Some of us are going to go, and some of you are going to go, hey, I did this and I did this. Don't you remember? I didn't want to go, but I went to church on Easter in 2021. I got all dressed up, and I went, and God, I'm a good person because I did that, and I've helped poor people, and I've helped rich people, and I've just helped people. I'm just a good person. Let me in. And God goes, it's not perfect. But for the follower of Christ who has placed their faith in Christ, They stand and they go, here's my record of righteousness. And the Father looks and He sees Jesus in all its perfection. The big word is imputed. Given to you. Credited to your account. Isn't that awesome? I don't know what your bank account is. It might be healthy, but none of you are going to be upset if there's something else credited to it free of charge. The problem with all of our moral bank accounts is not only were they zero, they were negative zero. We were in bankruptcy. And Jesus Christ came and He didn't just pay our debt. He filled our ledger with His perfect righteousness. And we gain it, friends. This whole passage talks about not by law, not by obedience. Friends, the essence of religion is you cleaning yourself up so that God will accept you Christianity is that you come with all your brokenness and believe by faith in the perfections of Christ and He accepts you in Him. By grace, you have been saved. Not by works, so that none would boast. So we have been given this paid in full stamp. And not only have our sins been forgiven, but justification is a legal statement that changes our legal standing. 
that you are now a son or daughter of God. All because of the completed work of Jesus. And through that, there's just a couple of things, and I'm only going to mention them. One, you have peace with God. And two, because of that justification from Christ, you have a certainty of future glory. You have peace with God. That you have a sense uh, of the guilt uh, of that moral accountability is taken away. It's removed from you. And we now have peace with God through the work of Jesus Christ. Look at the language. While you were still weak, while you were still sinners, not when you cleaned yourself up, not when you got all gussied up, not when you got your stuff together, not when you did a little more right than you did wrong, but when you were a mess, Christ came and He gave Himself for you. And at that moment, if you believe, you're forever changed. It's that easy. Does that seem too easy? It does to me. It's like, no, no, no. I've been trained to work it off. Maybe you come from a legalistic background. Maybe you come uh, from a Roman Catholic background or a church background, a fundamentalist Christian uh, church background or, or the Christian Roman church uh, background. And it says, no, work. Do these things. Do these things. These things. And then Jesus will accept you. The beauty of the Gospel is just the invert of that. Jesus did and did and did and gives it to you for free. Friends, that's the best news you'll hear all day. I had an economics professor who said over and over again, Bill, there's no such thing as a what? Free lunch. I wish I could go back and say to him now, oh yes, there is. One. But then he'd be right because it's free to me, but it costs Jesus everything. It costs Jesus everything to love you. So you have peace with God and you have a certainty of the future. He says this, there is a hope now of a forever that is safe and secure in the Savior. You know what that gives you freedom to do? To mess up. It gives you freedom to be human. It gives you freedom to sin and to fall short. It gives you freedom to lose your temper. It gives you freedom to burn the biscuits today, and that's okay. It gives you freedom in all the mistakes that you make. Because you take all of those mistakes and we go right back to the one who said, I've already paid for them. My father, doesn't believe, my father believes in double jeopardy. That you can't pay twice for the same sin. And I've already paid for it. And there is a hope and a future that's secured for you. I'm going to end with this. Some of you are absolutely exhausted from trying to work out your salvation. You're coming here today wondering what in the world I'm going to say or what the church has to say. I just want to say this. You can come to Christ and find rest. You can lay your strivings aside. You can believe it's that simple. Even today, where you're sitting, you can say, God, for the first time ever, I believe. And there will be something cosmic that takes place in your heart. God will say, I declare you now to be righteous, perfect, my daughter or my son. If that's something that interests you, then I'm going to pray right now. And for the Christian, if you already know that, I pray that you keep believing that truth. Because friends, shame is your constant attender. And it is going to speak at you.
but you need to hear a different voice. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your voice which speaks into our shame. Thank you for your voice which speaks into our striving. Thank you for your voice which reminds us that we were enemies, that we were orphans, that we were lost, that we were in bondage, that we could never make ourselves good enough. And the evil one likes to tell us those things, but I pray that your voice would take those things and turn them on the axis so that it spins and we see that those may be very true, but because Christ died and was raised from the dead and has given us his righteousness, now orphans are daughters and sons. Now aliens have found a home. Now slaves have been freed. Now those without hope have become those with hope and those who were not a people have become a people. Father, I pray for some who are in this room today that are exhausted by striving. The gerbil wheel of life is wearing them down and wearing down their spouses and wearing down their children and wearing down their hearts. And I pray that they would lay their striving down now and pray to receive you that you would hear their penitent voice crying and going, I want to believe. I want to believe. And you would give them that belief today. Father, thank you for the beauty of Christ, that he shut the mouth of shame and that he spoke and death lost. Death died and we have life in him. We give you praise in the Savior's name. Amen.